Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 304, all about that news. Recorded September 24th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll. And joining me this week, as they always do, are your stalwart co-hosts, your friends and mine, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Engineer Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome, faithful opiates. Hello, all. I got nothing profound to say. Uh, what was it? I believe Caleb Colton said, when you have nothing to say, say nothing. Wise yeah, words. well, that would kind of leave like a really awful, awkward gap right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> see, I had to fill I was going to go for the, you know. I was going to go for the cheap joke and say, you just summed up our entire yeah, podcast. Well, that. <laughs> but, so. You just ruined it. Our shows would go from two hours to two minutes, when if that was the case. On, on the Thank other you, sh- good night. <laughs> on the other show that I host, the Android App Addicts podcast, on the Podnuts Network, P-O-D-N-U-T-Z. Check it out. Um a recurring theme that has developed over time there is just letting awkward silences hang. Like I'll say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll drop a joke that doesn't land and nobody comments and I'll just let it go and let it go. <laughs> and 15 seconds of dead air. And, and it's just kind of become a thing. Just let it hang until somebody finally decides to say something. Um, I don't know if it's a good bit, but it's a bit one way or the other. And I kind of feel that same way about the Orville. If any of you have watched that, it's Seth MacFarlane's new quasi-spoof comedy drama, dramedy space Star Trek inspired, but not really a parody of show. Um, Miles is not familiar with it. Seth, have you watched it at all? I have not watched it, but you know, I mean, I've seen the previews and stuff and I mean, I, isn't it on like right about now, usually Sunday evening? Uh, well, it, they, this doesn't bode well for a new TV show. It's three episodes in, and they've already changed the night that it's on. Um, it's now on Thursday nights. Okay, but if see it, but that's stupid because the okay, their target audience is going to end up being young guys because you know it's Seth MacFarlane's going to appeal to the guy type humor and it's a comedy show think if Star Wars were a comedy instead of a drama it's you've got the Orville and so it's competing against Sunday night football so instead they changed it to Thursday where it's competing against Thursday night football so not um, not a smart move honestly I but I never know. know where when anything's on TV I just tell the TiVo record this for me and when I have time I watch it but I only know this because there was an ad during the show I was watching saying, now on our new night, Thursday. But Seth, that description you gave, Star Trek but funny, is what everybody's expecting, but it's not. It's, uh, I'm three episodes in. There, there are three episodes of it. And I still can't decide what it is right. and whether I like it. Um, did you ever see Sports Night um, in the 90s? Uh, it was a, a, I loved Sports yeah. Night. Uh, it was one of uh, uh, David... Uh, uh, West Wing guy, um, known for his dialogue. Yeah. I, anyway. I I love the first yeah. couple of seasons of Sports Night. Well, that's because the there only were got yeah. stupid. Well, or, the it was one of those shows that couldn't decide what it wanted to be. It was a half hour drama, which never happens. Com- right. You know, dramas are an hour, comedies are half hour, but it was a half hour drama that was funny. Um, and and you don't know people didn't know how to handle it. I thought it was 
brilliantly written just in fact i i own the full series uh it was hard to find actually it took me a while to to track it down uh and i rewatch it periodically because the the writing is superb the dialogue is outstanding um the uh the the plots are tight uh the the characters are endearing but it couldn't land it people couldn't figure out what it was you you can't have a half hour drama that's funny that's just not a thing you have sitcoms and you have dramas you don't have half hour dramas that are funny the orville is kind of the same way it's it's not a spoof but it's it's got funny moments it's it's like captain picard with dick jokes uh and it it just it's it's some of them land most of them don't um and this last one you know they tried to do uh what science fiction has done for generations uh is take on some of the hot topics of the day this one was uh right. gender identity and i no spoilers that that's all i'll say but the whole show was about gender identity and whether somebody has a right to choose their gender or have their gender forced upon them um but it's the third episode in we haven't had time to care about any of these characters at all and they're trying to lay this heavy thing on um to characters that we haven't had time to care about and it's so super heavy-handed not only not only is it about uh you know gender identity but a certain group of people just happens to be the military industrialist closed-minded they might as well have been called them the republicanics you know um and it's just so heavy-handed that it doesn't land but at the moment at, at the same time it has some of the best moments and that third episode as weak as it was was the one that i would may, maybe want to go back and watch again so it's just it's just weird i just wondered if either of you had seen any of it no i wanted to but the way you're describing it i don't know so i'm curious I I'll, I'll check it out just to be able to say i've seen it i think so i will have to hold back my judgment until then because I was expecting, you know, based on the ads that were the commercials that were running, it was supposed to be a it was comedy. supposed to be Galaxy Quest, and that's that's what everybody was yeah. expecting it to be. And well, and no, that's what they designed the commercials to paint it as. So you know, it, and of course, it's well, anyway. This this could turn political really fast, <laughs> you know, but. It, that's kind of the the left is very heavy handed in the way they do, you know, set up one thing, deliver another heavy hand, force their message around some of the other stuff that you could take out their message and have a show that would be great. But they throw this crap in and it ruins it for everyone. The left isn't happy with the other stuff. The right isn't happy with the left stuff. So half the audience hates half of the show. The other half of the audience hates the other half of the show. Sounds like a something doomed to failure. But you know, Roddenberry so did that sort of America. stuff all the time. If you remember back to the original episode, there was the, the race of people that were half white, and half black. Right, and they were they were right. killing each other because one was half right on the left, uh, and the other was half white on the right, um, and therefore they were entirely different, pe- and they were murdering each other. That was about as heavy handed as it got. But for for some reason, it didn't land in that way that makes you want to just scratch your eyeballs out. And maybe it's I, I don't know I don't know maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe I was too young to appreciate it then, and now when I watch it again, it's so campy. I just I'm willing to give them a pass. Maybe it was every bit as heavy handed uh, in its day as as um, McFarland is being today. I, I'm just not sure. But as a as a student of media, um, I'm having a hard time figuring out where this lands. And I can't decide whether or not I like it. I said the same thing about uh, um, Legion. You know, for seven of the eight episodes, I couldn't decide whether I liked it. And then the eighth one, I loved it. Right. 
Uh, so this may be that sort of thing, but I saw moments of brilliance in Legion long before I've seen anything in the Orville. I, there, there's, there's no brilliance so far, and that's a shame because Seth MacFarlane has a history of brilliance. Right. Hmm. All right. Um, let's uh, let's jump down to this one because Miles is penciling this in as we speak. Electric <laughs> Dreams, the uh, the book that Blade Runner the movie was made from do androids dream of electric sheep was the the book right so i'm assuming electric dreams is a spinoff on that right somewhat yeah it is uh it started a week ago it's a series in the uk um when i heard about it they had sort of advertised it as uh, there was a there's a series out that's been out for a while called black mirror and I might have mentioned this before. It's it's awesome. They're individual short stories in a usually a collection of six that represents a series. Um, really brilliant. Uh, touch upon a whole lot of you know futuristic stuff, social culture, that sort of thing. Um, that show went to Netflix, so it used to be aired on in the UK on regular television, and Netflix effectively bought them. And there's a new series about to come out of that. So to fill the gap. Uh, I think it's Channel 4 in the UK created a series called Electric Dreams and they started the first one last week. I think it's on Sunday nights in the UK. And it's all story, short stories, I guess, by Philip K. Dick. But, yeah, they're very Blade Runner. They're very dystopian. Um, the direction looks like a scene out of Blade Runner. Um, I liked it to a point. The f I've only seen the first episode, so I can only talk about the first episode. But uh, the criticism I would have is that when they created this show, they didn't realize that people with heavy um, UK accents, particularly Scottish accents or Irish accents, have to slow down their talking so that we non-Scottish or Irish people can understand what they're saying. Um, I had a lot of trouble trying to follow the dialogue on this show. Other than that, the show itself is is brilliant. The the storylines are very Blade Runner. They're very, um, I guess maybe that's an appropriate thing, right? Because there's a new Blade Runner movie coming out. Right. But uh, yeah, definitely worth trying. At least give this one a shot. But be careful. You'll have to very carefully listen for the dialogue because it's often hard to follow. That's what your friend Malcolm said a couple of times on this show. I can't understand your accent. It made me chuckle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Blade Runner's the one where everyone's a Cylon, right? No. <laughs> well, no, that's Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and so, continuing the sci-fi uh, remade of. of theme here that we've unintentionally stumbled into, uh, Seth is uh, getting on board with the new Doctor Who series. Yeah, well, you know, I went back, you know, it was revived. Um, let me see. It's actually been like 12 years ago now. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I I saw some of them as they were coming out. But, you know, I don't remember when it came out. But I was, I've, I think I was, I think it interfered with anime. So, of course, I chose anime over that. But I've been, uh, they're on Amazon Prime. So I've been going through and watching them. And I'm up to season, the, the, the season 4.5. And 
one, they made Doctor Who a lot darker than he used to be. I mean, the stuff they're making that guy go through, he should have snapped and destroyed the universe by now. But the same token, it's Doctor Who, uh, one of my beloved. I mean, I was such a Doctor Who fan that when I went to the uh, World Scout Jamboree in Australia, I made my parents videotape it for me so I could watch them when I got back home. Uh, I loved me some Doctor Who as a kid, and I... I'm enjoying, I'm only up, like I say, they're about to go to the third Doctor in the new series. Um, I've got a couple more episodes left. But, you know, it's enjoyable, fun enough, and it reminds me, you know, happier times when I was a child and all of it. Channel 13, KERA, DFW, your local PBS affiliate. (laughs) Hey, uh, spoiler alert, Seth, I won't give you too much. There's a new Doctor coming, and it's a girl. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've read that. So I I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. You know, I mean, it, I guess it you know, it will depend on the character because, you know, at at that point, you're so entwined and you've invested so much of yourself. It's like, you know, the Honor Harrington uh, you know, 50,000 book set. He's gotten to where he writes the same dialogue, the same book like the past, it seems like the past 80 novels, but it's only been about the past three or four, 80% of it has been the exact same stuff. And there's only 20% new content. And I don't like the direction the character is gone, but I've so invested in that universe that, you know, it's, it, it keeps me in. And so, you know, I got hooked early on and then I'm stuck. I can't get out. You know, sci-fi yeah. has a long history of strong female characters. And I, and honestly, mm-hmm. I think it makes right. a lot of sense. The, the primary audience for most sci-fi is horny teenage boys. And so what yep. better way to appeal to horny teenage boys than with a strong female lead? But I think maybe the chickification of star star uh, of, of uh, science fiction is just going too far. Uh, not every Thor doesn't have to be a girl. Captain America doesn't have to be a girl. You know, we don't have to make everybody a girl. Uh, are, are we just going a little crazy? Maybe. Well, no, because this is, they're all going to be, um, gay women from the middle East. <laughs> every <laughs> That's the end result of every, every character on every television series is going to be a gay girl from the middle East. Um, child it's just, you know, so, um, because you know that that's what culture demands. Well, I, I, to be honest, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing a female Doctor Who, because I I've watched a lot of the character development that's happened in the later versions of that remake, and a, a right. lot of the female characters are actually acting stronger than Doctor Who's character is, which tells me that maybe it's time for this to happen, and I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic to see this. Yeah, and actually, um, I've been doing just some reading around on it, and in a lot of ways, the the new story picks up with each of the companions, and you see the companions of the Doctor go through much more character development than the Doctor does. You know, maybe over the course of the seven or eight seasons of the Doctor, um, his character has changed as much as his companions do in just a couple of seasons, and so you know. So yeah, we're and the weird thing about the 
the remake of Doctor the original one, he had, you know, there were men companions and there were women companions. But of course, I mean, most of them were women, um, you know, and the viewership picked back up when Romana regenerated and became this hot time lady chick um, as opposed to the Victorian era one. But in the series, the they've, they've pretty much all been women and the guys have just been a couple episodes here and there. So, you know, I guess a female doctor will have a male companion. So no, no, it's or, of course a lesbian lover, um, or or a, no, no, or because a robotic dog. The last companion before <laughs> that was gay. So yeah, so well then, uh, yeah, whatever. So I I I know nothing about um uh Doctor Who. I, I got I have never seen. I'm sorry, I haven't seen a single episode ever. I have started several episodes. I have tried. I've never finished one. Um, and you know, it, we all have our thing. We're all allowed to like what we like, right? Seth is way into anime. I'm not at all into anime. Uh, and so miles can be way into doctor who, and I'm not at all. So before you start writing the nasty letters, um, <laughs> you know, I've also never seen an episode of game of Thrones and, or, uh, walking dead. You know, I, I like what I like, but having said all of that, doctor who sounds like a tremendous douchebag. Uh, just from an outside perspective. So he drops in from time to time, pick somebody. I like you. I'm going to make your life miserable for a while. Okay. Now I'm leaving. Um, and then I'm going to drop in on somebody else. You look like somebody I'd like to make miserable for a couple of years. That's the outside perspective of Dr. Who. Well, they choose to follow him and he might make, but the premise is if he didn't show up, everybody would have been dead. So is it better to have a couple of miserable people or a dead universe? So they've played really, and I might be kind of hyper seeing it because, you know, watching a couple episodes a night, you know, you don't get the week to week break of life, but they they act like they're trying to give the doctor depression and all these neuroses by making it seem like he's killing people everywhere he goes. And it's true. Some people die. But when the option is I do nothing and watch this group destroy the universe or I do nothing and watch that group destroy the universe or I do something and stop them and this other person dies. So, you know, it is it, you know. Do you let one person die who you care about, or do you let the entire universe go? So that'd be a, that would be a tough decision, you know. Definitely some counseling involved. <laughs> All right, um, Miles. I don't even know what what this is. What is Waymo? Oh yeah, I didn't know either until I uh, almost ran in the back of one. Okay, so I'm Friday afternoon. I decided to go to a coffee shop and do some work because just cause. And uh, I went to a coffee shop and did some work and I finished and I got in the car and went to drive home and uh, I'm trying to get onto the freeway and as I'm driving down this regular surface street that connects with the freeway, there's this Dodge minivan in front of me with the sign on, it's a white van and on the back it's got Waymo, you know, like a logo. And I thought, well, yeah, okay, no big deal, it's some company I've never heard of. I look on the roof and it's got the spinning 360 degree camera, like an Uber or, you know, we've got these self-driving Ubers running around Tempe here. Uh, it looked like that, but it was on a Dodge minivan. So I thought, that's really weird. And then I noticed that it changed lanes to get into a better position at, at the lights. And I was just weird about the way it did it. But anyway... I looked and there were people in this, you know, the regular folk, and I thought, okay, maybe it's like a, 
you know, a work uh, shuttle thing. Uh, as I'm waiting at the lights with this thing next to me, on the other side of the road coming the other way is another white Dodge minivan with the spinning thing on the roof and the Waymo sign as well. And I'm thinking, is there like a new company around here, something called Waymo? I didn't know what Waymo was, but for some reason I kind of thought there's something in this. So I, when I got home, I pulled up the computer, I did a search and I went to Waymo.com and I find out it's a spin-off from Google or Alphabet. Apparently what Google did was they took their self-driving car division, their entire autonomous car division, and they spun it off as a separate company called Waymo. And the reason why there's so many of these Waymos around is that they've opened up this program in uh, Phoenix called uh, an early rider program. And it's only in this one area I happen to be in having a cup of coffee. Um, they're self-driving. There's no driver. Apparently, what happens is if you sign up for this thing, and I guess you've got to sign all your you know, rights away and your insurance and everything, but um, you can tell it, uh, take me to work and bring me home, and literally a, a driverless vehicle will turn up in front of your house, probably text you or something to say it's arrived, open the side door, you get in, it shuts the door, and it drives you to work. Welcome to Johnny no Driver. <laughs> Yeah. So w it's going to it's going to happen one day it's not going to take you to work <laughs> and you're going to be stuck <laughs> in the back side. Yeah, that's why they so make and sign the, the doctor will show up and save us. <laughs> but isn't this freaky? I mean like it's it's happening. It's really happening. So Miles, would you um, would you get in one of those? Yeah. Just cuz I want to feel like what it's like, what yeah. the future's going to look like. I, My I wife would, won't. She, I had a discussion with her about it. She's like, I ain't getting anywhere near that thing. And I'm thinking, oh, I will. I want to give it a shot. I mean, I'm so excited about it. I would consider that in a list of reasons to relocate, right? If I was looking at different places to live and one of them had Waymo and the other one didn't, that would be a plus in that one. I'm I'm jazzed about this sort of thing. I want yeah. the Johnny Cab from, from uh, Total Recall. It's just so... <laughs> Um, it, I, I thought I, this is science fiction. This is the stuff you read about or you see in the movies and it doesn't have a huge impact when you see it in the movies because it's science fiction, but you know, it's noteworthy, but it's real people. It's like actually happening. This is the future, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I guess the reason why they chose the areas to do the, apparently according to their website, it's the only part of the country that they're doing this, and that's uh, Phoenix Metropolitan, including Chandler, Tempe, Mesa, and Gilbert. So that's just a maybe a quarter of the area around the Phoenix, uh, Greater Phoenix area, and it happens to be surrounding Arizona State University. So I guess they've got some sort of state, uh, say in the matter. Um, but yeah, this is this is real. I, uh, it's hard to imagine. So are there limitations on where it can take you? Or, you know, I mean, like, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, drive me to New York City, but are there places in the Phoenix area, you know, 
sorry that does not comply recompute well, or something? this is what it says on their website. I'll just have to quote it. It says, uh, so you can sign up for what they call early rider, which is the, you know, where you sign up for the program. It says, as an early rider, you will be able to use our self-driving cars to go places you frequent every day, from work to school to the movies and more. Then you'll be able to share your thoughts and experiences with our team to help shape the future of how our self-driving cars will work. And then it says, we're searching for early riders in parts of Phoenix, uh, metropolitan area, including Chandler, Tempe, Mesa, and Gilbert. Come join us, blah, 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 blah. So the way and that the way I translate you. that, it'll take you wherever you want to go, but the origin point has to be within a certain area. Right. And more than likely, you probably will have other people in the vehicle when you get there that you'll ride along, right, you know, Jerry. like a super shuttle does. Yeah. Right. Now, one of the things that excites me most about self-driving cars, um, it's no secret I'm a big dude. I'm about six foot five, about 380 pounds. I take up a lot of space. And for years, I've thought, if I could get rid of the steering wheel and these pedals, I could be so much more comfortable in every vehicle I ever get in. Um, But that that's not true to just say sit in the passenger seat because the passenger side is always abbreviated. There's more space, no matter how big the car is, there's more space for the driver and less for the passenger. That's just sort of always the way it is. Once you take out that whole center console, the gear shift, the pedals, everything, every car, even the most minimalist, becomes a luxury car. It's like a first-class seat uh, in in uh, an airplane. And so that, selfishly, that's one of the primary reasons I want uh, at least drive-by-wire. I mean, give me a, a joystick and nothing else, right? But if ideally, if I could be, just, just be napping that that's the win for me I, I don't we have arrived to the point where i shouldn't have to to actually drive a car ever again in my life well certainly not in the metropolitan areas um because the roads are well just described they're well established and they're known and this would be ideal i mean if people take the subway to work if you're living in san francisco or new york or somewhere like that um i see this as being a suburban a solution to that problem without having to build a lot of infrastructure. So it does make sense. What I'm surprised about, though, is that nobody, or at least it hasn't been well publicized, has been looking into long-haul trucking of these things. But isn't that the win? Where you mm. could drive 24 hours, you know, without, maybe it's maybe it's because there's not always going to be a place to refuel it and that sort of thing. Well, they're, they're doing that in Australia. They are running long-haul trucking on autonomous runs between, like, over very, very long distances, uh, because it's safer and you don't have driver fatigue. Uh, but I'm not, I know that they were doing those experimentally. I'm not sure whether they've actually gone and started to do it commercially, though. Well, I know that that's one of the things that they um, like, you know, I mean, I, I, I scour the web for news that never gets cut. But one of the things that kind of keeps me in the loop technology wise, and they're not expecting trucking to, you know, last through the end of next decade, you know, but expect it to start really going down as a career in the next few years. So they don't expect it. Um, they expect the, um, the long haul trucking industry to go by the wayside. It's, it's kind of, it can kind of, it, it, like it, it's hard to imagine really, but I was thinking if these things are out there, they need to be cleaned. They need to be fueled. They need to be maintained. But almost all of those things could be automated as well. I mean, we, we yeah. our car, you know, our, uh, uh, car washes are automated. Uh, I'm sure they can automate fueling systems. 
Yeah, and it would so be you know it would be so easy to automate an oil change because you feed the the specs of that car in. You know, it's caught by the station positioned. It scans the RFID tag to know this is a 2026 Mercedes Alpha class. So the oil drain is here, and it screwed. And I need a seven sixteenth torque bit to go in there, and it takes you know zero W eighty grade motor oil or something stupid like that to run. And so all of that would be easy to automate. 16.3 foot pounds of force uh, force to put the the filter back on. Those are all specs that could easily be gathered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the hackers could come in and say, this isn't a Mercedes. This is a Yugo. And then totally destroy the car. (laughs) And um, so that, you know, that would be great spy novel, you know, hide the, hide the, murder make it seem like an accident type thing so we had we had sort of uh in our back channel discussion talked about uh this topic in the past so i think uh, i'll go ahead and and make that official call next week we're going to talk about what do you do when ai replaces you uh makes you uh, useless redundant isn't that what they say in the in the uk i've been made redundant um Mm -hmm. this is a reality that we're going to have to deal with it's not a new reality yeah and probably sooner than we expect No, nobody misses the blacksmith. Nobody misses the gaslighter. Nobody misses the the wheelwright. These are all things that that were jobs and then and now weren't. And society didn't crumble, but there were a lot of people whose lives were irrevocably changed. And so let's talk about that a little bit next week. Not now. Cool. <laughs> um, so guys, item number two here, Seth. It could very well destroy any hope we ever have of looking at news. I'm going to give you the choice. Do we talk about it or we just skip over it entirely? No, I'm okay. I mean, it's very timely. Okay. So I'm all for talking about right, it. Because it is news. That's that's the way we look at it. It is yeah. news. So uh, if you're a football fan at all, uh, or just have logged into Facebook or Twitter in, in the last 48 hours, you know that uh, the President of the United States, at some stump speech event, um, made a statement and pardoned the blue language uh, parents cover your kids ears for the next 30 seconds um, referred to the football players who wouldn't stand for the national anthem and said something to, I, I could look up the exact quote but frankly it's not worth my time said something to the effect of wouldn't it be great to see all these sons of bitches fired for not uh, standing for the national anthem and of course that was kind of a stupid thing to say uh, but the response to it has been equally stupid uh, so my question is very simple should the president of the United States be talking about NFL players? Period. End of sentence. Question mark. End of sentence. I'll let you go first, Miles. It will be neat to hear a non-native <laughs> uh, wax philosophic on the issue before you know it gets down and dirty and political. So, <laughs> um, if NFL represents a cultural norm in a country then one could argue that it as it is a, a platform by which uh, communication is, is done and therefore it should conform with the norms of other platforms of communication. That said, it's a commercial enterprise for the point of view of entertainment. Um, 
the fact that most sporting events, not just the NFL, I mean, if I go to a racing event, the first thing they're going to do before gentlemen start your engines as cold is they're going to play the national anthem. We stand and put a hand on heart, and, and uh, that's the norm. I've always been able to justify that at things like motorsport events because people get killed, and it kind of it's almost like a prayer. Um, but, you know, at the same time, for NFL – it's a part of culture. It's a part of culture at baseball. It's a part of culture everywhere. Uh, should the president be talking about it? I guess the president has some responsibility to define social norms. However, the way in which this was done seems a bit weird to me. Um, and it opens up a whole can of worms. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's... I don't know. I didn't answer your question, did I? I just gave you a whole bunch of, this is what's going on in my head, but I haven't come to a conclusion about it. So while you were talking there, I looked up the exact quote. I want to get the president right. And again, pardon the, the language. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody is disrespecting our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now. Out. He's fired. He's fired. Does that sound presidential? Now, I come from the state that has the distinction of having put the most crass man ever in the history of of government in the White House in the form of Lyndon Johnson. Uh, he was well known to have uh, press interviews while he was on the can taking a dump. And, uh, you know, he would he would invite the, the, the male or female, didn't matter, into the room with him uh, to have a conversation while he was squatting on the pot. Um, and, but, but even I think he was a more presidential president than, than <laughs> Donald J. Trump. Seth, go. Okay. First of all, to answer your question, should the president talk about the NFL? I would say the answer to that is yes, because it does have the largest television ratings and the biggest nationwide fan base of any of the major sports. So therefore, the president would be within the bounds talking about it. However, having said that, the way in which the president addressed the situation was not as the president of a country. He addressed as a you know leader of a fact seeking to incite his fan base and distinguish it from another group. So he was sowing division rather than attempting to govern the entire country. So the way in which he talked about the NFL was by far and away totally uncalled for President Donald Trump. From candidate Donald Trump, that would be a fair statement. But from President Donald Trump, he has a duty to govern the whole country. And all he does is get people talking about crap like this and not the stuff that he is doing has the governor in chief of our country and the people he is appointing that is going and enforcing and maintaining policies that are the exact opposite of what he talked about on the campaign trail. So Donald Trump might have been voted in because he was outside the political process. Well, let me tell you, he has learned the political process very quickly and demonstrated a mastery of it that many on the right thought was lacking by him. So we're talking about the president and we're talking about players kneeling or not kneeling. And while my 
stance on the subject would mirror the comments he made, I would never say them like that because I understand their right to choose and their freedom of choice. And but, you know, at the same time, I would not protect them from the consequences of their freedom of choice. And um, so, you know, you know, hey, the NFL is eventually going to fold because I used to be a rabid football fan and I watched basically three steps of a cow of a uh, Giants Eagles game as I was walking by the front room and that's all the football I watched today and I watched even less college football yesterday so the NFL is doing a good job of weaning me off of them and you know so kudos NFL keep up the good work but Donald Trump is also doing a good job of stirring up the hornet's nest to get us focused on them while he does things that you know just basically bleep the American people and he's fine with it. So, and we're apparently fine with it because we don't care what he's doing. We only care what he talks about. So I guess in one sense that makes him a great president because now there's not going to be any opposition to the agenda he is pushing by his appointees and his things because we're all too busy talking about the social justice warriors that he is seeking to stir up on one side or the other. So I don't know. I guess maybe it was a good thing for him to say because it allows him to advance his agenda in plain sight, free from the prying eyes of the media or the masses. Politicians are a lot like magicians. You should always look at where they're not directing your gaze. You know, always yep. watch the other hand. Um, and Trump is both a master politician and a master um, uh, media uh, person. I don't even know what the word is. Uh, he, you know, he got where he is uh, by he got to be president by manipulating Twitter and manipulating the meter, uh, the media. Um, and, you know, yep. whether good or bad, you know, I'm not even going to get into that. He's really good at that. And he's really good at at, uh, at making you fo- look at the things he wants you to look at. So, I, Seth, I think you're right to look at the other hand and see see where it is and what is it holding. Uh, but at the same time, could you be less of a leader um, and make than making a statement like this? I mean, you have... I think he's trying to ingratiate himself with the every guy. Trump is Trump is a billionaire who wears a trucker cap and tries to tell you that he's just like you in a three thousand dollar Armani suit. Um, it's a it's a it's a long list of contradictions. But he he has a, a large segment of the population convinced that he's a regular guy just like them. He was he's a billionaire son of a billionaire. He's not just like you in any way. If you're within the sound of my voice, Trump is not just like you at all, but he's convinced uh, a large section of the population that he is. And I really think that that's what he's going for here. He's trying to go for the, you know, the locker room. I'm just like you. I have, I care about the, the NFL. I care about these guys. Uh, they're disrespecting my flag. Um, and I don't think it's genuine at all, but, but aside from all of that, it's just not a presidential thing to do. That's my take on it. Um, to, to to comment on all uh, on it at all is a little silly, um, and to comment on it in that manner is borderline disgraceful. It's a dangerous precedent too. I mean, here's your problem: uh, we've got a media who want to sell a lot of advertising, and so they'll go for anything that they can run that's going to get eyes on their process on their uh, product. So if Trump is feeding them easy, low hanging fruit 
stuff to put out there, that's what they're going to broadcast 24-7 all the way through just to try to sell those ads for prescription drugs or McDonald's or whatever uh, is, is out there. They, they know this is financially in their best interest. The problem is that it's a very, very dangerous precedent because in the same week that Trump is doing this to try to garner attention on him and therefore the news media is sapping it up because they're selling advertising off it, it doesn't really matter what the topic of conversation is as long as it's something so bizarre and so out there that it garners attention on him, then in his mind everybody wins. And that is, you know, the nature of a celebrity apprentice reality TV star that you would do that sort of thing. Unfortunately, it also coincides with him getting in front of the United Nations this week and trying to use it as a pulpit to to do the same shock tactic to try to garner uh, you know media attention. And I don't think that was a smart move at all. <laughs> um, and that's where I, I'm thinking, look, he can say what he wants to say about the NFL and people will get really riled up about it. And other people might really agree with him, but either way, he'll get a reaction and it will be a hyper reaction, which will help get more attention on him and the media will sell more advertising space. At the end of the day, it, it harms our perception of social culture, but that's as far as it goes. But when you go in front of the United Nations and you start calling other leaders who have arsenals pointed at you with you know slanderous terms and, and all that sort of thing... That never ends well for anybody. And my concern is that he doesn't understand the difference between diplomacy versus media uh, celebrity hype tactic. And I don't, th I, he has to learn that difference because if he doesn't, it will be at our peril. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's been the discussion for a while now is, is, is Trump a politician or is he not? Is he a genius or an idiot? Um, and it, it's kind of like the Orville. You can't quite tell yet. Um, but Seth has a, a, an article here in the headlines. Maybe one of the things he doesn't want us to pay attention to is the fact that big business guys love his policies. Um, he's tried, like I said earlier, he, he's wearing the trucker hat and trying to tell you he's a regular guy, but his biggest fans are other millionaires, such as Comcast, who, who thinks that they can get away with more under his presidency than they could in the previous presidency. Yeah, they, um, you know, Comcast wants to gobble, you know, and of course, I mean, hey, if you're if you're a business, you want to become a bigger business so you can make more money. So in that sense, I understand it. But the government has a responsibility to protect its consumers, especially whenever these businesses are dominating monopolies the government created. We've talked about that. You know, the proof is all over the Internet if people want to think for themselves and read. But, you know, so Comcast really didn't like Barack Obama because the Obama Obama, I mean, and of course, you know, it's not Barack Obama saying, don't let them merge, don't let them merge, don't let them merge. But the administration that he installed was very pro, was proer little guy than the Trump administration because they were saying, you're a big business, you dominate. If you get even bigger, you're going to have less reason to care about your consumers. So we're not going to let you get any bigger. So now Trump is like, hey, you're a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. You've got a hot wife. I've got a hot wife. You have a jet. I have a jet. Why don't you let your jet get a little bit bigger and you can go ahead and buy up these other companies and I'll just say, okay. And again, it's not Trump saying, let them merge. 
although it might be Trump, but it's the people he are he is appointing in government. There's actually three news stories we have that Trump is very in or he's right in the middle of and Comcast is looking forward to more more mergers during the Trump presidency and this is a, a news article from Ars Technica because they see Trump has and this is a quote less hostile to mergers than Obama but you know they're quick to try to throw balance into the article oh we're not saying everything will be a slam dunk yes they are they're just trying to couch it for political terms so they just seem to you know where is the where is the little guy's representation in the Trump government? It's nowhere to be found because everybody he is appointing is big business uh, and big business policies. There's another story where the government is going to fix our broadband problems. You know, we've talked before about how the the FCC is saying 10 megs is enough, but they had recently they had under the Obama administration raised the definition of broadband to 25 megs, and then that shows the how slow how bad the country is doing with access to broadband. So the FCC says, hey, we'll just move the level from broadband from 25 down to 10. And then all of a sudden, a much greater percentage of the country will have access to broadband. And the problem is solved, right? Wrong. Because everything is going streaming, everything is going 4K, and you're trying to transmit a 100 gig worth of movie in an hour, try to do that over 10 megs when you have three different people watching three things in the house. And it doesn't work, but to the big business it does because they get to charge more money because they reach broadband and then there doesn't have to be any competition. So therefore they can charge even more money because you don't have anywhere else you can go. And then they can say, Hey, look, we're meeting the federal standards. And Oh, by the way, here's a data cap. You don't have, you can't watch that movie anyway, because that one movie will blow your entire allowance for the month. Way to go. Trump. You've made America great again. Woo-hoo. So let me just give some clarity here Go for ahead, yeah. perhaps our, our non-Americans or non-news um, junkies. Um, the, in, in the U.S., um, there's a common understanding that monopolies are illegal. That is not true. That is a false understanding. Uh, you may have a monopoly in any market uh, you see fit. De Beers, for example, pretty much owns all the diamonds in the world. Um, and so a lot of these, like when Comcast is looking to merge with, with, uh, you know, AT&T, how, how crazy would that be? Those two giants merging with each other, um, they would own the planet essentially in terms of, of bandwidth. Uh, that's okay. Uh, as long as you're not using your monopoly position, um, unfairly. And so all those years ago when Microsoft was being sued for its monopoly position, it wasn't that it was a monopoly. It was that they were abusing their monopoly power. And so since we've decided in this country that is illegal, that you cannot misuse your position, we have to set up organizations that decide what misuse is and when misuse is happening. One of those organizations is the Federal Communications Commissions. So the the FCC can uh, have final approval on mergers. Because they can say that um, this this could not this wouldn't happen. Uh, actually, the FTC uh, does that. Uh, can say that that if this happens, there would be an unfair advantage. The FCC can can like Seth is saying decide whether you're in compliance. Uh, so under um, the previous FCC chairman, uh, whose name I can't remember, somebody Google that for me. Um, uh, he, he was uh, he said the broadband definition 
needs to be raised. Uh, Americans aren't having, aren't enjoying the true benefits of broadband because what we call broadband isn't broadband. And so immediately with the stroke of a pen, thousands of, of people who had broadband didn't have broadband anymore. And now Ajit Pai, the, the new FCC chairman, is wanting to roll that back. So what you have here is a situation where um, the watchdog is... Tom Wheeler, Tom, okay, by the way. Tom Wheeler. The, the watchdog is in, in, I don't want to say in the pocket of, but on the, uh, the same intellectual page as the businesses. So there's no longer a watchdog. At that point, he's a lapdog. So having given that clarity, now, Miles, what was your comment? Well... I was curious as to whether this is a this is an over extension of the concept of reducing regulation because that was a sort of a political campaign topic that Trump used very successfully uh, and then I think when he started uh, his uh, tenure as president he was saying you know for every one new regulation we've got to kill five off or something like that um, and it seems like the pendulum swings from one extreme to the other. On the one hand, too much regulation stifles creativity and innovation and makes things slower and more expensive. And then on the other hand, no regulation means it's the Wild West and anything could happen and, and you've got to fend for yourself and it's, you know, it feels like a dystopian future. Um, I was hoping for something in the middle. Is this all the way over into the land of no regulation? I don't think it's no, no, no regulation. I think it's redefining. just rolling back. I'm sorry, Seth. Uh, I, I think it's just a matter of, of Trump promised to roll back as much of Obama's stuff as he could. And this is following that trend. No, Seth, sorry. Yeah. So, okay, this is only in the notice of inquiry stage right now. So the FCC has said, hey, hey, we want to do this. What do you think, public? And the public is thinking, no, we don't want to be bleeped again. Please stop bleeping us. But this falls, I mean, this is this is what they're doing. They are setting the regulation for communication, and they set the regulate, you know, at 25, and now they're saying we're going to set the regulation at 10. So this, to me, is just simply changing an existing regulation that would, you know, because, hey, when the Internet first started, you would have no need for 10 megs whenever all you're doing is, oh, look at that text-driven website. Oh, look at that text-driven website. And, you're, you know, the big deal is watching Star Wars done in ASCII characters or seeing a dancing baby. That doesn't take up a lot of text. But now that we're, you know, trying to stream 4K video, um, you know, it takes a bit more a bit bigger pipe to make such a thing a reality. Now, the the reason this is important, uh, those of you out there uh, who might be saying this is, you know, uh, spoiled Americans of their first world problems, um, is the the definition of broadband and whether a, a, comp- a, a population is served by broadband is pivotal to some of those things that we've talked about previously, like when the FCC divided up the U.S. into a handful of regions and divvied them out to Time Warner, um, Comcast, AT&T, etc. Some of the rules they had to follow were, you've got to make sure that you're serving all of the people in your uh, area with... Uh, you know, basic minimum standards and we'll decide what minimum standards is. And those minimum standards can change. But as long as you agree to play nicely uh, and stay in the area and, and, and not pee on the gardenias, we will let you have this whole backyard. Um, and, and then we will let this other dog have an entirely other backyard. Well, naturally businesses want to um, 
provide the minimum services they can at the maximum price they can. That's that's just business. It just is what it is. Um, and at some point, the that definition of minimum and maximum is a curve, right? The, at some point, it, you, providing some better service, there reaches a point where it doesn't gain you more money. So you that's that's where you stop. That's the curve. And there's a point where uh, uh, charging more money doesn't gain you more money. Uh, so that's where you stop. And so business is all about finding those middle grounds there. And the FCC is is one of the organizations set up to make sure that they're behaving nicely because they were essentially given monopolies. Not essentially. They were actually factually, in reality, literally given monopolies. And they were told the only way you can keep these monopolies is if you behave, if you play by the rules. And so that's why this is important. This isn't just, you know, I want to be able to stream Netflix on five devices at once. This is uh, fundamental to the, the way the government has structured the deal to see that Americans get broadband. Because the other option is that the government goes out and digs copper. Uh, and runs fiber. Uh, and that's what other countries have done to great success. But some of those other countries are about the size of the smallest state in our country. So um, it, it, it's, not, it's not always a fair comparison. When you have this massive continental landmass you have to deal with, for the government to do it would be a really big you know, uh, burden on the taxpayers. And, and honestly, when have you ever known the American government to do something right the first time? So instead, they decided to get together with the broadband providers of the day and say, we're going to sublet this job to you, but we want to make sure that all of our citizens have access to, not free, um, uh, it's not given to you, it's not a right, but you need to have access to. And one of the articles we talked about a while back was access to, in one case, was as long as you can get to it within a mile, even if that, even if we don't cover it there. If you could run your own copper for a mile and tap into ours, that considers uh, covers access to. Um, so these businesses are always playing with these lines and, and Tom Wheeler's rule was that you have to have uh, access to 25 megabits down and three megabits up and access to mobile broadband. Mobile broadband was not specified, but unless an area had both of those things, access to 25 down three megs up and mobile broadband, it was not considered served. And therefore you are falling down on your agreement. And the, and the last thing that these people want to do is for the government to take their monopolies away because then they have to compete on the merits of their service and holy crap, what would that end up looking like? Free enterprise. <laughs> what country would ever try to build a system off of that? You know, um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and of course they already got, you know, that another thing that this same FCC chairman is, is uh, I don't think it's been official yet, but they want to say if you're served by just mobile, that that's good enough. So you don't need the both. So they are basically, you know, trying to just take the stuff away. Now, you know, and a country and geographics of scale, you know, so uh, South Korea is easy to wire because it's a small country. It's heavily packed. And so, you know, but out where I live, where the population density is not the same, you know, I would expect a different rate of service and a different price of service than in a major metropolitan area where the popula- population density per mile is such that, you know, 100 people pay in $100, and that's not far off these days, you know, or $100 and 20 people per square mile, you know, that's what's 100 times 20 people. Quick, pull out the Common Core math books <laughs> and figure it out. I'll let you do that. Versus out where I live and you have two or three people 
per square mile. And then if you want to have the same amount of money, well, I'm not going to pay a thousand dollars. So my hundred dollars should buy me less than it. You know, that just makes sense. But again, it's the government and it's not about making sense. It's about making dollars. Fun times. Yeah. I'm actually trying to look up here what other countries are. We we were looking at um, what the cost of internet would be in Mexico, and uh-huh. it was ridiculously cheap for a very high-quality service. When I looked at the offerings, uh, this was in Sonora, and if I remember, it was somewhere around about $30 to $40 a month, and it was 100 megs down and I think 20-odd up. Uh it was it was really competitive, and I was thinking for that price, there's no way I could get anything here. Now, granted, you know the peso right. to the US dollar is a different exchange rate, but this is a four hour drive from me. <laughs> so if that's the comp- and they're on NAFTA, so they can compete for anything as easily as I can, in, in effect, same time zone, and uh, yeah, this, this is what we're up against. And if they think that scaling back. U.S. broadband internet service is a wise move. They should look to their border for their their close competitors, and they'll find that it's not really a good idea at all. But again, it goes back to the fact that everybody in the government represent. You know, where does the government pull their representatives for the chairman of the FCC? Well, they're pulled from the very companies whom the chairman watches. So, you know. The chairman knows what's good for those companies and what's good for those companies and what's good for that company's consumers. There is an overlap that it's beneficial for both, but the government doesn't care about the overlap because nobody represents the other circle to make them find the overlap. They only represent the big business circle. You know, there ought to be two chairs, you know, and the other chair should be Joe Public, Joe the Plumber type guy who represents the people so go america i was talking before we began recording about a conversation i had with a friend of mine recently um and i asked the very open-ended question uh what do you think about our current president i I didn't want to give any qualifiers i just wanted to to ask that question and my respondent uh the, the first thing that they said was i don't feel that the president has any direct impact on my daily life and I think a lot of Americans feel that way. But here's four stories, uh, three so far, the fourth one upcoming, uh, that talk about, that, that just highlight exactly how much the, the president does affect uh, your daily life. In this case, uh, you know, solar panels. This is an article about a company um, who made solar panels and uh, then another company outside of our country uh, took those designs, man- ma- manufactured them cheaply, and sold them back to the same market, like, like Miles was talking about, competing in the market. And this is this is nothing new here. Uh, the way governments handle that is something called a tariff. And a tariff is, I'm going to tax you because you make something I also make. And you make it cheaper uh, for whatever reason, slave labor, better resources, you know, whatever. The, uh, down through history, there's been lots of reasons like, uh, for example, uh, sugar coming out of the Caribbean islands. Uh, they used essentially slaves. Well, not essentially, actual slaves. Um, and so they couldn't compete. Uh, uh, American sugar growers, even using their slave labors, uh, couldn't compete. And so there was a sugar tariff. 
that was a thing. In fact, I'm pretty sure there is still an imported sugar tariff. I know that there are imports on things like corn. Uh, we grow enough corn here, and we don't want people importing the corn. And so there are tariffs that there's throughout the history of of all countries, not just America. That's the way you've protected your borders. And so now there's an arg- uh, an argument from this company that went bankrupt by uh, a, a foreign company, a Chinese company, selling the same product that they make cheaper. Uh, and they're lobbying for tariffs, and and now it's sitting on the president's desk. He gets to decide whether this company has a life or not. Yeah, and so the way that works is there's the International Trade Commission, and in this case, they sided with the now bankrupt solar panel manufacturer saying that the cheap imported solar panels have harmed domestic panel manufacturers. And so because the because the Trade Commission ruled in their favor, then therefore now this country is allowed by international treaty to charge tariffs and, you know, not kick off a trade war and all that kind of stuff. And that's oversimplification. Stop the emails. Uh, people come on. We, we don't have a two week podcast here. Um, so this company manufactures them, but you know, they can't compete with the scale because American worker gets paid, you know, for something like that, $15 an hour for, you know, two coffee breaks in the morning and hour lunch two coffee breaks at night three or four weeks of vacation a year and holidays and comp time you know and then all of the production meetings and safety meetings and osha investigation platforms and all that kind of stuff whereas in china it's do you want to die no sir okay here's a penny go work and we'll tell you when you can come out and yes that's oversimplification we're geek rant not geek you know so anyway (laughs) deal with the people but um a sidebar of this this kind of just makes the whole thing just it makes you want to just pull your hair out that's why i keep mine short is that this company that went bankrupt and is based in america it's it's neither it's not even you fully us owned and operated it's 63 percent owned by a chinese company and before it went uh, bankruptcy it was like it was doing manufacturing overseas so uh you know and then the company that they use and, and this other companies run by a german parent company so you know it's all this multinational big business stuff but here the president gets to decide the tariff issue so do we want and of course he was elected the skills for a politician and the skills for a statesman are not necessarily the same do we want the governor trump or the politician trump do we want that voice you know maintaining our tariff policies and getting to set the tariffs. So again, he can make it good for the business and say tariff of make up a number 50%. So good for the business. You know, now the American businesses can sell their stuff and may have a profit margin, but bad for the consumer because now the consumer has to pay more for the actual solar panels. So the cost of installation goes up. So nobody is going to buy them. And because people aren't buying and installing solar panels, we're not getting the green uh, energy benefit. And so tariffs are going to kill the planet, right? So it's a complex issue. This is just highlighting one side of it and showing you that your elected officials matter and you have a responsibility to 
vet your elected officials, however you choose to vet them, you know, is your vet because I can read that name and not the other one? Is that all the vetting you do? Um, you know, or look at his record in business, look at his record in office, look at her record of, you know, public service and you have to vet them because they matter. And this is where the single, this is where the single issue voter screws the entire populace. If you voted for Trump because he was anti-abortion, this is what happens. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah, you get you. So get you believe whole, in murder, the, Mark. the whole package, don't you? Yeah. So you 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 hire. Let's say you hired a coworker uh, or a new new person to work in your firm because he has blonde hair, and you have a policy that only blonde-haired people work at your company. You didn't ask him whether he could stamp widgets. You didn't ask him whether he bathes twice a, 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 a week. You didn't ask him uh, whether he was an axe murderer. You just said, he's got blonde hair, he's hired. That's what you single-issue voters do when you, when you vote in a president or a governor or a senator or a sanitation uh, manager. When you, vote on, when you look at only one aspect of the person, you get the whole person, regardless of what you're voting for. And so, yeah, what what's going to happen here if uh, there's a couple of ways this is go? I'm going to assume the tariff uh, is going to be levied because Trump ran on that. And he kind of has to, right? So there's a couple of ways uh, this is going to happen. Either solar panels go up by 50% because now uh, we, uh, we have uh, artificially inflated a tariff uh, on um, the manufactured goods. And, and the thing about tariffs, <laughs> where does that money go? The manufacturer, say, manage it, manage, uh, manufactures it for uh, 20%, uh, $20 a unit, all right? Let's say the tariff is, 10, is 50%. Now it costs $30 a unit. Where does that extra $10 go? To the government. You are voluntarily taxing yourself because uh, the, that tariff doesn't go back into the, the person who managed it. They, their price didn't suddenly go up. Their price is still $20. But now there's a $10 tariff added to that. They go straight into the government. So governments like tariffs. Um, it helps you stay yeah, in business. You're saving American jobs. Exactly. That's their, their thing. So because you couldn't manufacture this for $20 in America, and you can manufacture it for $20 in China, uh, you have to punish the Chinese manufacturer by making them pay a tax um, so that, that the prices are all the same. So there's a couple of ways this goes down. Uh, solar panels go up by 50%. That's the, the, the thing that Seth said. Or... American company opens a manufacturing arm in China. Therefore, it's an American company importing American goods that just happen to be made in China, and therefore there are no tariffs. And so, who gets who gets the benefit there? One company and one company only, because now they control the pricing. So that's more realistically what's going to happen. And then, at the same time, the technological advances come up, come by that we don't need solar panels anymore. Because now we can use solar tiles on roofs or that someone creates a, a, a paint which is solar absorbent or a, you know, a film that gets coated over your car or something to become solar powered. And all of a sudden it's not panels anymore. And those products are free from tariff because they're all new technology or new innovation. You wouldn't want to stifle that. And this whole issue becomes moot. So no, wait a minute, you know, Mark. You go, go ahead, Miles. I'm sorry. No, I, I was, was going to say. So yours. 
<laughs> this never okay, happened go when miles you on being quiet. <laughs> well, really quickly, I was just going to say that the one thing um, I'm also noticing is that I don't know if it, you can take these things as literal as what they might appear because I'm already seeing some examples of Trump pivoting on a lot of things that he said he was going to do. And then when it comes, push comes to shove, it's not happening at all uh, because it's either, shall we call it, it's too hard or it's harder than we thought. Yeah, it is when you're campaigning and you want to talk to people and get them all riled up about something, you can say anything and it costs you nothing to do so. When you're actually governing and you actually have to solve problems, then you find they're too hard and they'll back away from it and leave the status quo alone. So this may be a whole, you know, much ado about nothing. Yeah, I was going to, so you're saying, Mark, that an American business would exploit a loophole in a law to get around the tariff that was put there to protect the American consumer, and the end result is the American consumer still gets screwed. I, I don't understand how an American business would do such a thing. Could you possibly explain that in such a way that a simple mind could understand? And because as we know, we're not taught how to think anymore. We're only taught what to think. So please tell us what to think in this situation. I know that's a difficult concept to understand, but um, a business um, has one responsibility and one responsibility only, and that is to make profit. And the market is responsible for curtailing the bad behavior of business. When government interferes with the market's ability to punish bad behavior, you end up with the the end consumer getting screwed, the government lining their pockets, and money being made. Such a thing. I can't believe it. <laughs> and I'm Welcome not even mad the at the USSA. business. <laughs> uh, I'm not mad at the business. It's their job to make money, and it's their job to do everything legally possible to make money. You know, that's pure capitalism. Now, I, I don't ascribe to the pure capitalist mindset, but pretty darn close to it. I, I think that the the in a true free market, and that's what libertarians like myself like to say, a free market um, is unencumbered by um, by the minimum wage, by tariffs, by regulations. Uh, I can merge with who I want. I can be a, a, a monopoly. I can abuse my monopoly. I can do whatever I want. That is that is the thing that people fear. But in a true open market, the customer is also unrestricted. They can buy what they want. They can not buy what they want. They can manufacture their own alternative to it. Um, they can, they, they're the, the both parties, both sides of the equation are completely unencumbered. But with the situation we have now, the modified version of, of, of the free market, the quasi-free market that we have now, is that the consumer has almost no power, as I just talked about with the whole FCC thing. Um, in my house, I have one choice of provider, one, for, for broadband internet. I have had my choice taken away from me by the FCC. The, govern the, the, the businesses now have the upper hand. In a true free market, Nobody has the upper hand. It's a balance. Everybody has the power to do whatever they want, including rip off somebody else's intellectual property in a true free market. That's a thing that you can do. So I understand that there are logical and, and reasonable constraints that have to be put that a truly free market breaks down into anarchy. Anarchy never works. 
So you have to have logical constraints in place. The issue is the definition of logical and reasonable, and and people disagree with that. And people, once they get power, whether they're a company, whether they're a consumer, or whether they're a government entity, once they get power, they don't want to give it up. And so that's why the true free market can never exist. Until we're on the other side of life, and we're in the perfect place, heaven, Shangri-La, Elysium, whatever you want to call it, when we're all perfect beings, then perhaps the true free market can exist. But on this side of, of, of eternity, that can't happen because humans are all broken fundamentally. So you have to have some sense, uh, some set of, of, of rules. I get that. The fewer rules, the better. And, and the government should never, ever, 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 did I get enough evers in there, profit from those regulations. When the people making the rules profit from the rules, that's when the system falls apart. And that's where we are in every country in the world. So little known fact here, what one of the major contributing factors that led to the collapse of the Roman Empire was the Roman taxation system and the way the big businesses of the day, which were, you know, slaveholders and large landholders got away from it, got around it was you were taxed on your contribution to the kind of gross domestic product of the day. So if you made everything yourself, then you paid no taxes. So if you planted your food and you harvested your food and you grew your livestock and you butchered them and you made your clothes and you built your houses from your forest, you contributed nothing to the land, to the um, economy outside your holdings. Therefore, you had no tax burden to bear. So in order to get around that, landowners started buying more and more and more land to pull into their holdings so they could be self-sufficient, leaving less of the overall landmass of the empire to contribute to the taxes of running the empire. And while you say, well, that's not what's happening today. Well, yes, it is because an American company buys overseas company so that it's an American product that is shipped from a foreign country to America. But because it's American owned, you don't pay the tariffs and you still get the benefit of the politically cheap labor slaves, you know, low living conditions or whatever. Whereas the person living here, there's one less job for him to do because he can't manufacture now because, um, you know, he needs $20 an hour to live in America. Whereas over there, they need $20 a month. So yay. We've learned our lesson. Well, come on, I'm stirring stuff up guys I'm trying to anyway. <laughs> Well, no, okay, let, let me add another tangent on that. Um, my wife is a registered nurse. She practiced as a nurse for probably 15 years or so in Australia, and uh, she's a pretty good nurse. And uh, she's, you know, she's worked for major hospitals, major nursing homes, trauma centers, emergency, you know, accident and emergency facilities, pretty much everything. Um she comes to the United States and she's not allowed to work here as a nurse because she hasn't got nursing credentials that are in the United States. That's a regulation that's restricting her. Um, she can go to Florida and apparently with minimal amount of effort 
that state as as uh, looser regulations because they probably have a larger number of nursing homes and retirees. Uh, they need more nurses, and she could probably get licensed for that state, and that license may be reciprocal to other states and so on. But again, it's something getting in the way. Um, recently, we had Hurricane Irma. Uh, people losing their homes, dying on, you know, flooding, disease, everything. The same with, you know, uh, uh, Houston. She says to me, I want to go and do my duty as a nurse. I want to get on a plane and go there and help people out. I say, well, you can't. You're not licensed to do it as a nurse. Um, at what point is regulation a really bad idea? <laughs> but that was an up-close-and-personal example that happened only this week in our case. You know, here is a totally capable nurse who could have helped save people's lives who's being not allowed to practice. And, and the regulations exist for very well-intentioned reasons. We want to make sure you actually know your stuff. And we have, reg we have classes, we have t rules, we have tests, we have ways of knowing that you know your stuff if you've gone through an American nursing school. Well-intentioned policies sometimes end up with disastrous results. So I, I think a, a, a thinking person, a... a uh, um, long-term thinking person wants to keep the regulations well-intentioned or not as minimal as possible. And that's what, you know, the small government Republicans or libertarians, that's what we're all about. Um, the big government mindset and, and they are, I'm, I apologize to you. You are not represented on this show. Somebody is a big government liberal. You want to come on this show and defend your position. I will give you equal time. Uh, you're just not represented here. Uh, but these people, they want um, they want to do as much good as possible through these well-intentioned regulations. And they, I can cite case after case of well-intentioned regulations regulations leading to disaster, and they will equally cite uh, cases of lack of regulation leading to disaster. Um, and both are both are true. Both are accurate descriptions of the situation. Uh, but you have to find that balance there. And, and I think that right now, um, not just in our country, but in, in governments across the world, any developed first world country, the pendulum has gone so far into regulation for the sake of well-intentioned uh, results that we are in the process of destroying uh, our future. Now, that doesn't mean that I want to go all the way back to the other way. Uh, where China is right now with their uh, environmental issues, for example, they're, it's more important to them to manufacture the smartphone I have in my hand than it is for them to protect the environment. And we've developed countries who have already passed that part in our history. We look down our noses at them and say, you really need to clean up your act. In the meanwhile, there are no more redwoods in the U.S., so, you know, we, we are every bit as guilty of that. We've just moved past it. And so now we look on with this air of superiority in, in the way that a fifth grader might look at a second grader and say, you're such a child. Whereas an adult would look at them both and snicker. That's, that's what's happening right now. Um, and so right now, China isn't caring about the environment. So maybe we, we as, a, as a global society need to help China understand that they're cutting their own throats. Um, 
maybe not i don't know if there's if there's an actual standing for that maybe we just need to all deal with the fact that that china is ruining their landmass and be prepared to clean up the mess when when they call for help I'm not really sure what the right answer to that is, but we need to be thinking in terms of minimal regulation to keep things sane instead of maximum regulation to get people behaving in the way that we want them to. Yeah. And I mean, I know you oversimplified the problem there kind of on purpose, Mark, but you you made it sound like that was China's problem, whereas the fact of the matter is we're choosing to destroy the planet because we want the new smartphone. Good point. Because we're not content with the one we have. And we're happy because we say that phone can't be manufactured here because, and it could be if the $1,000 iPhone were $5,000, then it could be manufactured here. But we can thumb our noses and we can say, oh, those stupid Chinese, they're destroying their, no, we're, I mean, in one sense, hey, we're smart because we're getting them to destroy their country and all it costs is $1,000 to give to Apple for them to do it. And Apple gives however much of that to the Chinese government. And so look, I'm paying china to destroy their country by buying a brand new phone because it does everything one one thousandth of a millisecond faster than the phone i have now which is already 10 times faster than the desktop computer i had 10 years ago but i'm such a better person because the planet's not being destroyed where i'm standing so well you the, know, the other problem yay, the other problem progress. you've got there is that that your choice to have to go and fill landfills with your old phone is often not even your choice. I mean, at the end of the day, your perfectly working phone, which probably would last you five years, is being artificially killed off by software updates that say uh, we're no longer supporting model X of the phone and therefore your phone has to end up in a landfill. So this is being driven from here down to the people who are then using, uh, seeing that as, oh, oh, I get a new phone that is then driving out to China and then coming back and killing us in tariffs. Yeah, I have a great example of that. You know, we've we've uh, mentioned a couple of times in the show the the lag that we're stepping on each other. We're using the Google Hangouts audio. We've not done that in the past. For all the time that I've been doing podcasting, I've used Skype, but it has the the lowest latency and the highest quality audio. Um, the laptop that I've been using for years. Uh, is technically still fine, but it is no longer supported by Microsoft. There's nothing wrong with the hardware, um, and I'm sure I could could go install Linux on it and and figure that out. I just haven't had haven't taken the hours in the day to make that happen. But artificially, this device has been obsoleted for the one purpose that I use it for. So I either have to come up with some solution or what Microsoft wants me to do, what HP wants me to do, what Intel wants me to do, is chuck it in the bin and go get another one. Even though it two weeks ago, it served the purpose. Now it doesn't, not because the hardware changed in any way, but because the Microsoft flipped the switch and said, no more Skype for you. So this happens, you know, consistently across. And, and again, you could talk about all the reasons for it. They don't want to have to update that. It's a virus magnet, whatever. But I'm choosing, I'm handling it well. I'm taking good care of it. I'm only interfacing with Skype and only in a very protected manner. Uh, the odds of this uh, laptop being infected or infecting anybody else are incredibly slim. Much the same way that the odds of Miles' wife murdering somebody because she doesn't know how to tie a tourniquet is very slim. But because uh, they can neither prove that I know what I'm doing, nor can they prove that Miles' wife knows what she's doing, we've just said no. 
And so it's it's this sort of cycle is being repeated to the point where consumerism is the way of life. And 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 we like to to blame Americans. The other countries like to blame Americans too. But it is a global mindset of buy and dispose. And uh, you know it's it can't continue. The 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 world will implode on itself if this continues. Not in our lifetime, but it will happen. Yeah, I, I honestly believe that if there is ever a chance of any uh, freedom from this, it's to decentralize everything and to get the power out of the central authority so that it – I mean, we see it with open source. I mean, Linux is a perfect example. Your, your laptop solution may well be Linux, and by doing that, you may well have a solution that could last you another five years. We don't know. I mean, you have to try it, but – but that would be an option. In the same way with the iPhone, if you root the phone or something and you put on you know, a, a, a hacked version of something, it would probably allow the phone to continue for another five years. Same with Android. Um, at the end of the day, if we take the power away from a central authority and we de- decentralize it out, we may as a population be able to solve our own problems. But that is not about what's good for us as consumers or us as a population. It's about what's bad for the central authority who wants to retain the power. And, and that's where we're at right now. And we're getting the more this happens, the more that fight in, you know, ensues, the more that you almost get a revolution on your hands where the people just break free of all central authority because they can't trust it or they don't want to be bound by it. Down with the man, yeah, up with yeah. anarchy. Okay, I somebody think we have made the. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say somebody once made the comment to me. I was uh, I was at Montgomery Elevator Company building elevator controllers, which was a great job because after a month you knew how to do it, brain dead, and so you could talk to people and do other stuff. But we were having conversations much like this every day at work and one of the guys made the comment when i told him i was a republican because you know really you could say you're something else but it boils down to republican or democrat um so i was like well i'm a republican and he goes uh you know you're not rich enough to be a republican and my reply at the time was i'm i'm too rich to be a democrat so um i don't know maybe um i ah i I don't I don't know what to do. <laughs> so anyway, the the times they are changing. Well, you know, you can't look to government for your answers. Um but you can sure look to government for your problems. I think that's been proven time and time again. Well, maybe I local like government. I'm going to use that. You might be able to focus on local government issues and see if we can make differences at a local level and then at least create our own at least a an acceptable bearable life (laughs) uh, at the local level if at all possible yeah says the arizonan who doesn't recognize uh daylight saving time (laughs) right All right, I, this was a good discussion, uh, Seth. We we actually used your news links. It was a true news show. It it ended up being um, a, a bit of a Trump bashing, but uh, you know I, I stand by that. I'm okay with that. Uh, I like these sort of discussions. This was good. This was news and comment. Paul Harvey would be proud. Uh, but I think we have come to the end of that, and so uh, this is the part of the show where I say, "Tell me what you think." 
Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. Elementop, for people who say it too, I say I say it too fast. dot com, um, and click on the contact us button. Answer the world's hardest captcha. Fill out the form and let us know what you think. Or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com, uh, or you can call 559-IMOP right here in traffic while you're listening to this right now. You can call 559-IMOP and leave your voicemail uh, and let us know what you think. I really, you know, I, like I said, uh, we are only representing uh, a small slice of the possible arguments, so I'm interested to hear what other people have to say. Are you an American who disagrees with me? Are you a foreigner who is laughing at me? Um, let, let me know what you think. Uh, so elementop.com is the place to go and do that. Now, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. On September the 22nd, 1986, computer cold could be copyrighted. In a decisive victory for makers of a computer's insides, a federal judge ruled that code used to run computers and other electronic devices could be copyrighted like printed material. And so that happened this week in history, Mark, and the world has never been the same. And now back to you. A well-intentioned regulation that caused industries to rise and fall. Uh, Great example, Seth. Uh, I don't know if you intended for that to be in this, but that worked out really well. Theme shows. I'm, I'm actually a big fan of copyright. Copyright makes sense. Patent does not. Copyright says, I had a novel idea. I get the sole use of this novel idea for X period of time. Uh, patent says, I invented a thing. I get sole use of this thing for a certain time. Having an idea is not inventing a thing. Uh, so, right. But here's my question. If, if you're doing things like if-then statements, how much has to be changed for the copyright to be invalidated. If you just change the order the statements are listed, technically have you violated the copyright or have you just, you know, I mean, so there, there would have, if this would have to be litigated to determine that because I mean, obviously some, well, look, I changed the remarks and I, I, I deleted their names and inserted my names. No, 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 wait, I'm sorry. I just thought of something the exact same, but you know, so how much change is, is different because I don't know. I it, it, it's, that would be a topic for another show, I guess. Yeah. And you, you hit on it right there. Copyright is one of those things that, that can only be determined by the court. You, there is no way to know whether it's fair use or whether it is um, a, a novel uh, idea or whether it's satire. The only way any of these things can be known is to go sit before somebody in a black robe. Um, <laughs> that goes back to my point about well-intentioned um, uh, restrictions. Uh, when you can't even have a discussion about something without running it by a judge, I think maybe the system's gone a little too far. But yeah, I copyrighted the if then statement. So anybody who uses it in a program or, you know, with, you know, if then copy that, that just, and of course I said, if then, because surely everybody remembers computer literacy and at least learn that much. One would hope. All right. Now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity this week? That's making you look like a better hiring option. And I just want to say we've been doing this bit for five years. Get a freaking job.
All right. <laughs> oh, come on. You said that even when I had a job. So that was just the stick we've used. Um, so, okay, this is not really about getting me a better job. This is about helping the world, Mark. Now that the the hurricanes have came and went in America, and, of course, we're the center of the world, so if we're, if we're still standing, the rest of the world must be decimated, right? Um, but, no, this is how to make a solar steel. Um, from MotherEarthNews.com, uh, do-it-yourself section, you can click on here and see the ingredients to basically use the sun. You know, it might not work so well in the Arctic because it doesn't get very hot there. But if you were in Florida and didn't have, uh, you know, good, safe drinking water, you might could have these uh, um, parts around and build yourself a working solar still using the heat of the sun to purify or distill the water, thus making it safe to drink. And uh, so just this is the public service announcement. This is only for distilling water, not for distilling corn. Right. That's a different kind of still. Right. That's very cool. Actually. So anyway, I'm trying to help the world and give back. Yeah. And uh, one of the questions here was, uh, um, is this just for desalination? Uh, uh, does the does this purify water from antigens, bacteria, viruses, or parasites? Um, uh, a distilled water is pure. If it's done properly, uh, all contaminants are removed, all antigens are, 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 are rather all pathogens are destroyed. Uh, you only need to leave water. Uh, if you take a two liter bottle of water and stick it in the direct sun for about three hours, that water is purified. It's, it's sterile. Uh, ultraviolet light is an amazingly effective, uh, um, uh, sterilizing, sterilizing agent and ultraviolet light is all over the place when you're outside in the sun hence the need for sunscreen so if when in doubt now that's not going to remove the particulates you can't scoop up mud leave it out in the sun for a couple of hours and and call it drinkable but clear water where the uv light can p- p- penetrate the entire uh, body of water only about two hours indirect sunlight will have perfectly drinkable uh, sterilized water. The still is for removing contaminants, removing sediment, mud, that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, this is a thing and, uh, you should check it out. But if you're ever out camping, for example, in, in North America, uh, I can't remember the name of the bacteria, but there was a, a in the late seventies, there was a, a breakout, uh, an outbreak of bacteria that polluted all of the running waters in North America. Uh, you cannot drink from any stream or lake in North America without risking having the runs for three days. Um, it's just it's just a thing. But if you have a clear two-liter bottle with you, all you got to do is leave it out in the sun for a couple hours, and you're good. You don't have to boil it. You don't have to do all that stuff that you see them do on the survival shows unless it's got stuff in it, you know. But if it's clear running water, all you need is sunlight. So there you go. There's your bonus tip for the day. Wow. wow. One up me. <laughs> <laughs> It's what I do, Seth. I am the Sultan. So you people, you heard it here. Pay for what you like. Come on. We need some money here. (laughs) And and I learned that in a book. So read or like I do, go to audible.com or excuse me, elementopi.com slash audible. Uh, Sign up for the, for your first book free. And uh, I get a healthy kickback. Um, You still get the free book. If you sign up, you don't like it. You cancel it. The book is yours. It's free. It's fine. I don't get the kickback if you cancel. But, uh, you know, try it. If <laughs> I Audible literally changed my life. Uh, I, I don't just advertise because I can make money off of it. In fact, I've never made money off of it, or maybe once. Um, 
but uh, I, I advertise for it because I'm a believer in it. So com slash audible. Uh, so yeah, as Miles said, pay for what you like. Go pay me money. Um, and if you like what I do, pay me for it. If you don't like what I do, stop downloading it. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, uh, Miles, I like what you do, and I'm glad you're here every week, and I thank you for that. Thank you for your time, for your effort, for your energy, and for your intellect. Uh, this show would not be the same without each of those components, and so I appreciate that. You, the listener, I appreciate you. Those of you watching in the live stream, uh, we you've been silent today, but I know you're there, and, and I feel you're in my heart. Um, or maybe that was acid reflux. But I, I'm glad that you're here. We appreciate it. Literally, this is why we do the show, because you listen to it, and we hope that we uh, entertain you and inform you and and make your commute more bearable so thanks for hanging out with us we'll see you next week uh, because that's it for this episode of the geek rant and remember pay for what you like <laughs> <laughs>